welcome to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics! That's my favorite one. <laughs> I still gotta work on it. Like, my, my Kermit voice is pretty soft. Like, I, I you know, I, I could do better. <laughs> well, trying is important. But, you, I mean, it can't be Skeletor every time. Right. He fool! <laughs> Alright, so, today's topic is the, um... Lively original topic of movies and the workplace. Yes, how to sneak movies into your workplace and watch them <laughs> via your smartphone. How to well, it's much more practical. Steal. <laughs> oh, shoplifting is easy. Take things when people can't see you. There, done. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know how deny, not, deny, deny. if you don't know how not to be seen, Monty Python has an educational video about it. <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> Essentially, we're going to be talking about how movies have portrayed the workplace, or portrayed life in the workplace, or because movies the kind of workplace, and yeah. the characters involved tend not to have jobs. Yeah, the well, it, I mean, it's 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 the the sort of thing that like a your your classic like pedantic cracked list would point out, like oh, these people's homes are huge, and what do they do for a job? Well, yeah. That is a good question. Uh, you don't have to ask it so many times, but um, right, like, but yeah, like, no, it's just yeah. I mean, uh, the the giant apartment question is, I think, an important one to ask. The answer is so we can fit cameras in there and have a- interest in blocking. I suppose. Essentially, uh, yeah. And and the uh, the the of course the the snarky answer for why people don't have jobs or why jobs are often very weirdly portrayed in media is usually well because they're being written by people who are professional writers who might not have had a real job for a long time but that's not always the case let's talk about things that aren't just that <laughs> well it's that and also the fact that sometimes the job isn't important to the story yeah like sometimes like whether or not what that character does for a living isn't so much important because really what you're concerned with is getting trying to figure out how to get character A from point B to point D with the minimal amount of exposition and action as yeah. possible. Yeah, movies, uh, I, I, I don't want to break the illusion here, but movies aren't real. Um, <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why in storytelling uh, across just about any medium, one of the most important words that, that will come up is uh, verisimilitude, which does not mean being real. It just means seeming real enough for the story to function. <laughs> this uh, movie, Thank You for Smoking. Oh, it was God. Low, and I, I think it's um, Aaron Eckhart are talking about like a scene where an astronaut is smoking in a space station. And like, <laughs> and one of them goes, well, won't that affect, like, is that even physically possible? And the other one goes, oh, no, no, we can just throw in a line of, thank God they invented the so-and-so and we're good. yes god i forgot about that movie i remember that coming out of nowhere Uh, (laughs) like someone someone literally was just like hey we should watch this like it had already come out on dvd by the time i saw it and uh because it was it was a limited run movie in theaters wasn't it that's back in the day when it's like an indie movie actually had a shot at getting released and yeah it was an indie movie but it was full of like name people uh, that was the Ivan Reitman's first, not Ivan Reitman, Jason Reitman's Jason Reitman, yeah, yeah. And since his father's Ivan Reitman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nepotism, hey! <laughs> um, uh-huh. But no, like, 
oftentimes, like even movies that take place within a workplace, mm. very rarely engage with the workplace. Yeah. Uh, unless uh, it is, unless it is literally about, uh, unless the movie is about that, because right. uh, you, you know, you know what, uh, what would actually be a terrible company to work for? What? Ghostbusters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like Janine was their only like receptionist, and she was treated like crap. Uh, a lot of them like literally live there, and uh, they're they're barely getting by. Uh, it's it's not an ideal workplace. Uh, it's, yeah, no it's, it seems pretty rough. Yeah, and at times that like I believe there are a few lines they didn't even pay her. Yeah, and I think like it, I mean, Venkman's the only one we see proof that he lives somewhere outside of the firehouse. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, uh, well, Janine by implication, and Winston probably had a home uh, <laughs> before he became a Ghostbuster because he was just out in the world, but like. Ray sold his family's house, you know, and and he's just living in there. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff that's got to make that a real uncomfortable place to work. Uh, uh yeah. yeah. Well, and this also goes part of like the whole point of Ghostbusters is, is to give the illusion that is fake, focusing on the reality, but only yeah. giving you just enough. Right, uh, and they do that very well, but uh, but not like it's it's pretty hostile work environment. That's all I'm saying. Well, okay, for our generation, uh, I think. The creme de la creme is either clerks or office space. Uh, I, I, uh, office space is the one I, I would argue wins out culturally, but clerks is, of course, the one that I lean more toward because they talk more about Star Wars in it. What was that? And also <laughs> with... Um, but also both you and I have worked in places that sold movies or rented them. <laughs> I don't say it's like, for me, I worked at a video store and like right. the first, when I got hired, the manager's like, have you seen Clerks? I'm like, yeah. It's like, okay, that's hundred <laughs> percent. Showing up the amount of times where I felt like I was channeling Randall, not to be mean, because that's the only way to survive in a video store. And also because uh, there's a certain way that like particular customers want that. Right. It's a weird. It's a weird setup. You do well, kind no, of play like, a role. The amount of people who like where's the new releases. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Maybe on the giant new release wall that has seven signs that say new release that you see when you first come in and you cannot literally miss it. Uh, do you have that one that was that has that guy who was in that movie one time? <laughs> oh my god. That's my mother. <laughs> Alright, sorry. I didn't mean to turn this into like personal work trauma uh, reliving. <laughs> No, but like that's like that's why movies like that make a connection because so few movies deal with that yeah. on a level of relatability. Office space right. culturally wins out, yes, but I still, no matter what business yeah. I work at, I find little pieces of office space totally relevant. Oh yeah, I mean I've never worked the kind of job that the the two sort of primary kinds of jobs that office space shows either the the office sort of that that sort of office job or thankfully i've also never worked in food service in, in that sort of <laughs> do you have enough pieces of flair situation um so uh, uh i i tend to more personally identify with clerks but yeah office space has a lot of broadly applicable um horror shows in terms of just bad bosses or weird co-workers or whatever although I i've think- probably been the weird 
coworker more than I've been annoyed by the weird coworker. If I'm being honest, well, same here. But I, I do <laughs> love the one moment where he goes, "Hey, anyone ever come up to your job and say you got a case of the Mondays?" <laughs> and Diedrich Diedrich Bay just gets going, "Nope." In fact, I wouldn't get the ass beat if they said that in my job. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that was every time I forget that that's Dietrich Bader until either I'm verbally reminded or I look at him and like pause the movie for a minute. Because there's something. I'm I'm gonna go off on a side bit here. Do it. Dietrich Bader tweeted out an instance that happened to him when he was loading up his groceries in the back of his car. Someone pulled up to him and goes, Oh my god, are you Tom Hanks? Nope. Who are you? You look like Tom Hanks. I get that all the time. Man, you look really familiar. I'm well. Uh, Paul, I'm Diedrich Bader. Who? It's okay. Tom Hanks okay. seems like a really nice guy. He does, doesn't he? Gotta go. See ya. <laughs> look, look, look. D- Diedrich Bader was Batman in <laughs> Batman: The Brave and the Bold. All right, so you know, just saying. I just love the who. It's okay. <laughs> oh uh, wow! Back on track. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but we're, we're... We talked a little about when we talked about the Hayes Code. Yeah. Um, the difference between Warner Brothers and I believe MGM. And mm-hmm. MGM was much more fantasy, and Warner Brothers was much more social, uh, conscious oriented. And one of the things they did was in Warner Brothers movies, people had jobs, and things, the price of bread mattered. Was mm. GM not so much? Everyone just had enough money to get what they want, and there's nothing really like that today in terms of studios. But I mean, was... I mean, I suppose one one could make an argument that uh, Marvel Studios gives fans what they would like to see, and uh, the the DC EU uh, lights your dreams on fire. Um... Right, but even then, there's still like the actual <laughs> idea of having money is not yeah. really no, not at all. Um, the closest, oddly enough, is. Uh, Ant Man. Yeah, yeah. Ant Man. Ant Man does a real good job. Like that. Ant Man um, and, and the Wasp, where they actually have like business problems because of finances, and like, oh my god, you spend how much on those Danishes? Yeah, or or just the fact that like, oh, here's here's a guy. I mean, sure, it's a white guy, but here's a here's a guy getting out of prison trying to find a job. Right. Uh, and and like, yeah, like it, there's there's some real world concerns going on. <laughs> Well, yeah, if you haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, the same thing goes. Like, Michael Pena's legitimately stressing out over the fact that the company's going bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. But some of this, like, more, it doesn't really matter, but at the same time, it kind of matters because part of movies as empathy machines is understanding how jobs work. Um, yeah, and one, one of the, the things that... I love the movie Lincoln is because mm. it shows the minutia of getting a law passed at that time and even a law as gutsy and as life-changing as the 13th amendment i guess it's not a law but seeing how politics works then because i like seeing people do the job and i like seeing people good at doing the job it's why we like aaron sorkin shows to some degree yeah (laughs) that's become more and more qualified over time but no uh (laughs) yeah no, Kara, Kara and I were talking about that sort of thing with the West Wing not that long ago. It's like, man, there's a lot of good parts of that show that didn't age super well. 
Oh, God, uh, no, or, as we, or as we got more mature and went back to them, we're like, oh, this is sort of manipulative and not as, as good as I wanted it uh, to right, be. Right. Oh, Although oh, quite well. up, the idealism <laughs> of, all, of all, I think, still holds up. But sometimes yeah. when they engage in sort of like political ideals, like oh. with women. Oh, oh man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. But, again, okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, you you mentioned you brought up nine to five. Yes. And nine to five, even by today's standards, is pretty gutsy. Oh yeah. Not only is it a feminist anthem, but it is a movie that is essentially a glorification about three secretaries fantasizing about murdering their boss. Yeah. Uh. uh, uh yeah, and it's got a lot of like it, it, the the boss murder part. Of course, doesn't end up actually happening, and it's softened right. by slapstick comedy, but. Uh, it's, uh, it's not, yeah, it's not just the, the murdering part isn't even, I think the, the most like thing that would make this movie unable to be made today. It's the focus on when they get in charge, like making a more equitable workplace, (laughs) (laughs) making a more equitable workplace, holding the boss accountable. Yeah. Uh, just like it, it it sounds, I don't know. I, it sounds mundane, but the, a, a, uh, the the three our three leads like Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and the great Dolly Parton. Uh, I, I say with can I just say I'm happy that there seems to be a, a renaissance of people realizing the beauty of Dolly Parton. Yeah, she's wonderful. There's <laughs> I, I I can't uh, I I look I grew up uh, on country music that uh, that is my I. background. And, uh, yeah, if you got a problem with Dolly Parton, you got a problem with me. Is all I'm saying. I saw straight talk in theaters. <laughs> uh but yeah no like nine to five is just uh it's i it may be the best workplace comedy uh i i might i might have to say that and uh and fight people who say otherwise Not only um that, but dabney coleman is a treasure that we don't i don't think it's the love and praise he deserves yeah that's true uh he's one of those like he's just one of those character actors that you know when you see his face he's the bad guy <laughs> which is by but, the way the value of a good character actor. He shows up, you know exactly what that guy's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I, I just I just opened up his like Wikipedia page and I'm looking at the the t- the tower of his uh, like filmography. He's in a Columbo and... episode, the one with Martin Landau playing twins, and he mm-hmm. does what has to be the single best Burt Reynolds impersonation I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I mean, he was also in The Muppets Take Manhattan. Well, so. yes, the greatest Muppet movie. <laughs> Ooh, that's... I'm not sure I know how to rank mine, honestly. I, I have to rewatch all the Muppet movies now. Give me a minute. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Well, okay, even Muppets Take Manhattan deals with economic class systems. Oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> on their dreams... Because they can't afford to keep living like a bunch of college kids. Like oh, they man. They on with the lives. They drift apart. They move out of town. They have to take up jobs they don't like. Yeah, that was an alley I was not expecting to, to wander into, but you are right. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> we, should, we should probably stick to the more human-centric ones, but, man, I could... I could Watch some Muppet movies right now. I know, and I'm just letting you know, there's a reason why. Muppet Steak Manhattan, there's a song at the beginning 
uh, it's time to say goodbye, that mm. never fails to bring me to absolute fucking tears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, like, movies, when you see that in movies, there's that sort of, like, it makes you, because there's a tendency in all of us to get really bogged down and stressed out with life. And seeing yeah. that reflected back to us helps. Yeah, I think that is one thing that, like, uh, I, I don't know, screenwriting habits get sort of culturally ingrained. And one of the things that can't, like, a lot of people will think of movies as, as pure escapism. And, and that's not always a bad thing. But if if you get in a, like, that's one of the reasons why a lot of, like, people will get very snippy about, like, oh, well, these people's houses are way too big and blah, blah, blah. Because after a while, when you see nothing like your experience, I say as a white guy, uh, like, <laughs> I see plenty of things that are close-ish to my experience. I'm, I'm, not sa- I'm not saying that just never seeing somebody as poor as me is, is, is equally bad as not being represented like as a cultural group at all. Like uh, there's no compare, but, uh, but still like seeing nothing but people who are doing fine financially, despite like complaining about how hard up they are is weird. Uh, like when people are living in giant apartments or palatial houses and are supposedly average people, like it, it grates. It's, it's sort of strange and dispiriting. So now and then seeing that like people have jobs and problems uh, in movies or television is, uh, I think, kind of refreshing. And it's, it's something that a lot of the habits of screenwriting, I think, tend to drive people away from. Unless, it, unless it's what the story is about. Like a, right. lot of the, a lot of the things that we're sort of name checking are, are sort of like the, the workplace is either like what the conflict is around or like where it primarily takes place. Well, okay. Perfect example. How Stella got a groove back. Mm. Uh, Angela Bassett plays a stockbroker. But yeah, yeah. it's very clear that the people who wrote the script and the people who made the movie have no clue what a stockbroker does. <laughs> I mean, who does? Right. It's a marvelous <laughs> thing to begin with. But it's like, when they, like she's a stockbroker, but it's clear that they made her a stockbroker so it, it would be an excuse for her to be able to just take a vacation to the Bahamas or the Jamaicans, I forget where. Yeah. To the islands on a whim. Well, right. Her best right. friend Whoopi Goldberg's character works in an apartment store, and still has managed able to go with her. <laughs> yeah, like all of us who have worked in like a department store. Uh, yeah, no, you can you can just go on a yeah, random vacation clear, and have plot happen. <laughs> to be clear, that is because how Stella got a goof back is romantic fantasy. Yes, and it's it doesn't have as such, and it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfectly real. Right, because especially since it's also it came out during what I the '90s, which was really sort of a renaissance for black filmmakers. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's like movies I just like I just recently uh, uh, not not behind the camera exactly, but I did just get to watch the the original great black led superhero film Blade. Uh, uh, just tail end of the 90s, uh, but I, Kara and I have arguments over whether or not Blade is the beginning of the the, the renaissance of, of Marvel, and uh, I, I love Blade so much. <laughs> I really enjoy Blade too, but I love Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. Um, I know everyone has issues with the light grenade, but I'm like, he's half human, half vampire. Grow the fuck up. I don't understand. I, I, had, I had, like, pedantic issues with it when I saw it at the time. But, uh, <laughs> A, once I, once I fell in love with Guillermo del Toro, I retroactively erased those issues because he can't do anything <laughs> wrong ever. Um, 
<laughs> and also, like, the monsters in that movie are, are just straight up wonderful. Right? Uh, but anyway, sorry. Uh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> personal tangent. of real-life economic things in terms of superhero movies. Mm. The 1979-1980 Supergirl with Helen Slater. Yeah. Faye Dunaway's character is living <laughs> in an abandoned amusement park. Like, in, like in the Scooby-Dooest possible place. Right, right. Understand that one of the complaints in the movie is the fact that she can't afford the rent. <laughs> and I, I was like, that. well, maybe have you thought not living in an amusement park? The electricity bills alone have to be ungodly. <laughs> oh, I mean, I gotta give, like, that movie should get way more credit for being kind of very earnestly comic booky. Uh, okay. Because that Part is of the reason why people crap on that movie deservedly so is because the main conflict is over a man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but I am saying it's very true to what those source comics were like. <laughs> you want to see some weird romance drama? Like read Supergirl comics from the 70s. Oh, uh, my wife can give you a few. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, that uh, like at least uh, in some ways, at least they're trying. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. the rent on my uh, ch- checks notes, uh, super villain lair. <laughs> like that's that's the kind of joke you would find in Venture Brothers now. Like, <laughs> and they were dead serious about it. And it's one of the things where, like, I wish Marvel would have something along those lines. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to someone's like, you know, this is man, this is draining the savings account. Yeah, as as opposed to it being something more along the lines of Tony Stark being like, "Well, I feel be- I, I I'm having a personal crisis because I realized how many people I'm directly responsible for killing. I will be a good guy now forever." Okay, thanks, okay, Tony. Actually, I just remember, duh, Spider Man Homecoming. <laughs> oh, Spider Man Homecoming! You mean with the greatest antihero of all time, the right. Vulture, played by Michael Keaton? <laughs> they addressed economic and class in that movie. In they explained no superhero movie really had around that point in time. Yeah. Also, how huge Liz's house was was actually a clue to the fact that her dad was incredibly wealthy because he made supervillain weapons. What? Like, <laughs> like not, it's not it, it's only that, but it also made you realize that like, when he lost the contract and the fact that his business was threatening to go under, what oh, he yeah. was going to lose. Because like that's a like that that was a re- like that was a real real moment for for me at least because there's like there are people in my extended family who i don't don't like a lot but like have uh like would do sort of clean up after storms and stuff they'd have like um the they do like large-scale yard work and and like tree maintenance and things like that but like if there were yeah yeah, but if there were like big storms and stuff, they would like lease more equipment and like go down and and work in those areas and and that's one of those things where like that can go real wrong uh if if like whatever community is like, "Yeah, we don't know you. You're not from here, so we're not going to like pay you to to work in this area." Or like the so like that that kind of equipment and like that kind of like the just that that cross of expense and risk and like in that movie the way that goes wrong specifically because of Tony Stark is just amazing. <laughs> like um, it's it's 
the the vulture's arc in that is just maybe the best thing about that movie other than tom holland himself who is perfect right no like i'll argue like uh as much as wonder woman is a blueprint for a new type of superhero movie spider-man homecoming Mm. in its own way is also the same in terms of dealing with just class and also the fact that it it lacks an origin story yeah like spider-man 2 the sam raimi movie had some good like classic style peter parker is poor stuff where it's very soap opera-y and and uh yeah yeah it's it's very slapstick because sam raimi lives off the blood of his leading actors um (laughs) like a vampire (laughs) but but like spider-man homecoming was way more in a weird way way more down to earth about it's with the exception of what in the world do Aunt May and Peter do from like they drop the ball in the the other direction right. strangely like the the villain is, is developed and like uh structured in a way more understandable way than whatever whatever Peter and Aunt May are living off of <laughs> <laughs> well, it's take the movie that's one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, well a couple of them Jovis is a volcano oh and, wow and, yeah Tom Hanks in the early before. days Ernest Lubitsch Yes, and you also, you are you are the one who repeatedly got me to watch that movie, and it was it's always a treat. It is um, it's a fantastic movie, but like it deals with uh, office yeah. politics in a way that movies don't really do. Yeah, and and quite frankly, can I just say, despite the fact that it's spiritual successor, uh, you've got mail, which man, that is a dated phrase. Um, <laughs> uh, starred two of the the that era's most charming people. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, uh, it it's nowhere near as good. It's not like the shop, shop around the corner. Like you, you got you got Jimmy Stewart. Uh, like it, it, you got uh, oh, it's uh, Margaret. Um, Margaret O'Sullivan. Bl- yes, Margaret I tried to remember off the top of my head, and I'm I'm bad with names, but Sullivan. I know. Yeah, uh, uh, just they're they're ex- they're just I don't know. They're just so likable and funny and it's ah i love that movie so much well it's back when you could actually do a couple of starting off hating each other and then falling for each other without making it seem like some sort of oh my god what the fuck (laughs) yeah but one of the things is with you've got mail is they made it about the owners Mm. yeah yeah instead of the the people who work the registers in the stock room yeah, you mean shop around the corner? You uh, sorry, shop around the corner. Like yeah. Mr. Matashek is a character, and we feel for him. But it's about everyone in the store. Whereas you've got yeah. mail is uh, yeah, you've got mail is just primarily about the owners and them talking about the grand yeah. idea of big stories buying out little stores. But yeah, which is showing any real world consequence. Yeah, the, it's 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 blustering more about that than anything, which right. I feel like doesn't doesn't really help it. You've got mail has the classic scene in which a customer calls out Jimmy Stewart to the outside display window and goes, "Sir, how much is that hat? You mean the one for eleven ninety five? Yes, it's eleven ninety five. Oh no! <laughs> you you I mean the one that for- experience at Target for at least nine seven years? You you mean the one for eleven ninety five? I forgot I could kind of do it, Jimmy Stewart. For <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, well, man. Not even that, but uh, Shop on the Corner even brings up the fact that as a woman, she faces a lot of sexual harassment. Yeah. 
She's like, but, even at um, Blocks and Sons, Brothers and Sons. I mean, the brothers are all right, but the sons. When you <laughs> ask for help in the stock room, you actually want help in the stock room. Oh, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, it, you know, the, the thing that I was actually thinking about this uh, earlier today was just like the, I feel like you've got male uh, tried to remake this movie too early. Because with the like, the 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 sort of pen pal sort of relationship now is a way better time like being like social media alone yeah social media and like knowing people and talking regularly to people that you don't know uh in 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 meat space uh i think like this this is this would be a great movie to like bring in a a young ish uh up and coming like couple of leads and just have a story about people working a crap job and uh, accidentally like getting to know each other via social media stuff. Like it would be great. Well, okay, you um, the shop on the corner, like I said, it looks at everybody, and yeah. also looks at how every job has that one guy, the stuck mm. up, the guy who no one wants to talk to because he, they know somehow or other whatever gossip you drop, it's going to get to the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like it's it's a, like they they have stock characters, but they're not they they do work with them. Right. Like they're not they're not just fresh out of the package. And when Jimmy Stewart's character spoiler gets fired, mm-hmm. the movie treats it as what it is a life altering event. Yeah, because like he getting says, I may not like you, but I don't wish, wish this on my worst enemy, especially at a time like this, because they acknowledge that the depression is a thing. Yeah, like you, they need these jobs. It's not like, uh, oh, well, I've, I better go start up my next job. <laughs> and Claire's no... apartment is a tiny thing above a shop. Like, it's yeah. very clearly these people are working for a living, not working. Yeah. These are working to live, not living to work. Yeah, and that is just not something that we see as as displayed as across the board. Like, right. like you know, like you say, like they're where they work, how they interact with each other, the living conditions that they live in outside of work. Like it's it's it feels really well. I mean, I'm not from the 40s originally, but it feels very well drawn, and it feels like something that that reflects that similar circumstance even now. Well, because again. They managed to do this escapist romantic fantasy by still grounding it in reality. Like, yeah. I still love the line where Jimmy Stewart's talking to, um, I forget the guy's name, his best friend at work, and he's mm. like, can a man live comfortably on on a salary of 1500 a month? It's like, good Lord, why so much? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, to entertain, uh, having friends over for dinner. It's like, having friends over for dinner? If a friend is really a friend, he comes over after dinner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I love that line. It's <laughs> like, or like when Don't he calls his wife to tell him, like when his wife calls and he has to tell her that he's working late and he doesn't want to, but his boss oh, is standing right there and he's like, oh, hello, how are you? Honey, I wanted to tell you the good news. I get to work late. Isn't that amazing? I thought so too. Love you. See you later. <laughs> Oh wow! Like it understands the reality of even though they work at a, like a department store, a shop, yeah. Deal, it understands the realities and demands of a job, of a schedule, uh, yeah, a fixed income. Uh, yeah, and and just like all the yeah, the different like you were saying, sort of the different roles in the store, uh, and the those sort of like 
I don't know that that weird kind of like work friendship and uh, and the the relationships with a boss, even if like you like them. Right, it's just, like in the fact yeah. that if you fall out of favor with the boss, how that might actually affect your career. Yeah, uh, like it's 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 yeah. You just, like it's not until I rewatch this movie, uh, which <laughs> I I haven't seen I haven't seen it as many times as you, but I've right. I've I've rewatched it a few times, um, and it it really. It's staggering how rare it is to see that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to say accurate because I don't know how accurate it is to its own time. Right. But I feel like it kind of has to have been on some level for it to still feel at least like broadly accurate to now. Right. And it's one of those things where like it can be done. There's like, you, I don't think a movie is less than for not tackling all those issues, but like at the same right. time, to see a director still give you an escapist fantasy and still at times mm-hmm. remind you of the reality, it, it helps make it more relatable and more like, well, that could happen to me. Because yeah. I, too, have a dead-end job that I hate. And the ending isn't, oh, hey, I got the promotion. The ending is, I have a job and a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... I'm- Kind of basically back where I started, but slightly better. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, like that's one of those things that I think a lot of again, like I, I, I don't know. I, I like movies, as you are aware, but like there's a lot, a lot of the sort of tropes that that uh, writers fall into uh, will be about like making stakes too high and not being able to appreciate what sort of day to day stakes can be. Right. Well, also. As you said, you didn't really think about it because you hadn't watched the movie in a while. But like, yeah. up on the corner, does it in a way where it's not like it does. The movie doesn't stop. No, like it just it's it's a very well paced movie. As the movie goes along, and yeah. so like back back when I talk about like how they smuggle things in, it's mm. done in such a way to where it's not noticeable unless you're looking for it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like it's it's a movie that the, the the sort of rare thing about Shop Around the Corner is is that it sort of does this well across the board. I think there are there are movies that do a good job of showing like what working in particular industries is is probably like behind the scenes. I know in your your sort of list, you put like broadcast news, for example. Right. Um, but you know, we 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 also see a lot of like behind the scenes in movies or behind the scenes in TV, like things in media but we don't always see like the full spectrum of like okay here's all these people working together and here's them dealing with uh sort of uh the 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 more the the realities of having difficulties at your job or in a relationship or whatever the 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 romanticization tends to i think still still be the more the, the the more romantic versions of it tend to be the most common i would say there's a album one of the early alpha books movie called modern romance Mm. And part of the plot is he's an editor. Mm. And there are like four or five scenes where he's with his co-editor, the great Bruno Kirby. Mm-hmm. And it's just them talking about the process of editing and trying to put a scene in a movie together. Yeah. And it's fascinating because you see a lot of movies about movies. But none of them stop and just show you the sort of grind of putting a movie together. Yeah, like movies yeah, about movies like are. Where they talk to the Foley artist about putting sound to the edited oh, scene. Wow, really? Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, because like, like, the movie is. It's also kind of dark because he gives you. It's called Modern Romance, and he looks at mm-hmm. a romance as if it's a modern romantic comedy, only without the magical element. So it comes mm-hmm. off as sort of dark and kind of creepy at times. 
Oh wow. Because it's Albert That's Brooks, lovely. That's... Yeah. Because <laughs> of course it is. Uh, like. You don't love Albert Brooks. I have to tell you, you gotta love Albert Brooks. <laughs> oh man. Um, defending your life. I, I'm just this... minor masterpiece. Anyhow. Uh, but yeah, no, because because movies about movies are almost always about like being on set, right? Uh, like that's that's the movie about movies. You don't see the the those other parts of it. That's um, that's fantastic. I, I don't think you've mentioned that one to me before. I gotta find that. Oh uh, no, that's really good. Um, you can find some scenes on YouTube. Uh, although, of course, like I, I, I should have just looked into every possible Albert Brooks movie I could find by this point in my life, and it is sort of like a shame. Seven. <laughs> yeah but uh, i keep just watching the same ones over and over <laughs> i'll talk to koya maybe i'll have a clip uh underneath this on the uh on the website when we post this podcast Ooh, yeah let's get fancy let's start having some footnotes well we had him on the uh fundamental plus i did with koya when we talked about television um, so i know it's possible uh, i just don't know <laughs> if we have the time but there's a have you heard of a movie called two days one night yes Okay, have you seen it? No, I've only heard of it. <laughs> okay. So it's this uh, French movie by the Dardans. Hmm. And it stars Marion Cotillard. And I bring this up because we live in a what could be called a broken, orgiastic capitalist society. Yeah, a, a late capitalist, uh, ca- a late capitalist hellscape. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and movies, by and large, with the exception of Sorry to Bother You. Uh, and some old school movies from the 30s and 40s tend to ignore that, and in the, in the exception of and also and also I would argue movies or normal way. I feel like uh, RoboCop should be on this list. RoboCop as well. Um, <laughs> but two days, one night. It's about this woman who takes a, uh, a leave of absence from a job because she has a mental breakdown, mm. and while she is getting help, she gets laid off. And they tell her this when he comes back, like, okay, I'm back. It's like, oh, we got rid of your uh, position. And she's like, oh. well, okay, but I kind of really need this job. And they're like, well, tell you what. Uh, we took the money we would have saved that we would have had, like, paid you for the job and just gave that out to bonuses to everyone else. Oh. So if you can get everyone to agree for you to come back and, like, give up the bonus, sure, we'll let that happen. Oh, so it's her wow. going to each person because it's a small business. Yeah. And talking to them about giving up the bonuses. And you have people who are like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. They have other people going, I was going to use this to pay, like, a mortgage. Yeah, like real, right. real stuff. One of the last people she talks to is an immigrant. And he goes, I understand your plight. Uh, my problem is if I do this, I'm both an immigrant and the last guy they hired. So if they lay anyone off, you know it's going to be me. And so eventually she gets everyone, like, they have a vote, and they vote to give up the bonus. And she gets called into the office, like, well, congratulations, you're back. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good news. And we're still keeping the bonuses. Like, awesome. We're just going to lay off that one. Oh, wow. And she goes, I can't take this job. And so she leaves. She gives up the job. Mm. Because the idea of her getting work at the expense of someone else morally wasn't feasible for her. And I just, I remember seeing that in the movie and being stunned that that was even an option. Um, I, yeah, that's. I've seen the moralistic concerns that the economic structure 
forces mm. onto a society. Yeah, that that sort of uh, existing at the expense of your other coworkers or even a particular one. Yeah, that's wow. That sounds fantastic. I got to find yeah. that now. Yeah, so uh, I remember because I, I oh, excellent. Because I, I remember hearing about it uh, when I was. Uh, Sort of, I think it was. I, 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 every once in a while, I remember how off, awesome uh, Marion Cotard is. So I'll like yeah. look at what she's been up to because uh, I, well, I'm a sucker for Chris Nolan movies, and he kept casting her in things. Right. And so well, every time she would show. Well, it's more like more <laughs> filmmakers in which they have things like that at at the core. Like yeah, the, there's a sub genre of directors who have like a, a certain passion. Uh, mm-hmm. American director J. C. Chandor, uh, his movies look at what people think of as the American dream, why is it the ideal, the cost of the American dream? Yeah. Um, but to bring it up to, like uh, two, two days, one night, uh, brings mm. back to Joe versus mm-hmm. the volcano, which is a deeply <laughs> flawed movie, but is about a man who has realized that he's working at a job he hates. And he has a great line of when his boss is telling him off, he lunges at him and goes, I sold my soul to you for $300 a week. You're lucky I don't kill you. Yeah, and it's young Tom Hanks. And (laughs) this is is very early indicator that this man can literally do anything. Well, not about that, but understand when Joe vs. Volcano came out, there was no Wes Anderson. There was no Quentin Tarantino or Coen Brothers. And it has a style very reminiscent of them. And so when it comes out, there was really sort of like, what is this? Yeah, because it's. Uh, I, I knew they were going to do this, but I wanted to check because it's it's categorized on its Wikipedia page as being a romantic comedy, and uh, it is. Yes. But no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, that's that's true to an extent because it is a movie from the '90s with Meg Ryan in it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Dan true. Hiata, it's impossible not to be a romantic when you have Dan Hiata. <laughs> but yeah, but Joe versus the volcano is uh, a very consciously strange movie, right? Uh, and it's wonderful. Um, uh, and, and and yeah, like there's some weird stuff going on with uh, let's say how uh, South Pacific Island people are portrayed. I have a few um, theories on that. I think like what it's trying to do and how it actually gets pulled off. But that's another thing. Right, different, different about day. Problematic aspects of our favorite movies later. Down. Um, yeah, ooh, yeah. <laughs> but what really Joe vs. the Volcano is about, to some degree, is existentialism. It's about the notion of can you feel good if you are in a job you hate and the luxury of being able? Because understand that Tom Hanks is allowed to quit his job only because he is given a death sentence. Yeah, like it's it's that that sort of initial question continually exaggerated right uh, like that that question of like happiness in a grinding like dead-end job and then they just balloon that out in the most absurd way possible <laughs> and it's wonderful uh but no um occur, uh, this i can't believe i forgot all about this movie i watched joe versus volcano because i wanted to avoid watching akira kurosawa's akira why, why would you why would you want to avoid that because I knew if I watched Akiru, I would end up quitting my job. <laughs> and honestly, that's when I realized I was going to quit my job no matter what. Because after I watched Joe vs. Volcano, I ended up quitting my job. But 
Uh, I mean, for those of you who don't know, by the way, uh, Ikiru is a Kurosawa movie that, if I recall, is one the one of the ones that is the one is it the one or one of the ones that's based on a like a Tolstoy novel. Um, uh, it might be one of the ones. I don't believe that one's the one's based on a Tolstoy novel. It might. Oh, be okay. That, I'm not sure. Because oh man, I it's... think you're thinking of um, uh, Uzu. I could be. Yeah. I'm. But. Ikiru is about a guy who works in a bureaucratic office. He works in, a, in the government. And his yeah, entire yeah. job is, as head of this one department, is to stamp the document with the stamp that says he's looked at the document. That's it. He doesn't make <laughs> comments about the documents. Nothing. His job is just, like, looked at it, and that's it. And oh. then, much like Tom Hanks, he's given a death sentence. And then he that's... starts trying to figure out, well, how can I do good? What can I have? I wasted yeah. my life, and what can I do with what little I have left? Yeah, because because Ikiru is, is literally to live, uh, <laughs> to be. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh man. At the, the last act of the movie is at his funeral, and we watch people debate what the heck was going on with him because they didn't yeah. tell anyone that he had cancer. Yeah. Uh, it. it uh, Oh man, it, I, it's it's a movie worth watching, but you know, be be like be like emotionally braced, right? Like that and Redbeard, which talks about the moral the moral quagmire of being in uh, involving yourself in medicine. Mm. In terms of not, I should say moral quagmire because really, this looks about the the moral fortitude required to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, curse, curse out, by the way, for those of you who aren't aware, is one of the greatest directors ever. Yeah. Also, his, also his uh, his autobiography is is a great uh, oh, God, yes. book to you just yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Joe versus the volcano, though. <laughs> right. Well, okay. And so what uh, what I'm getting at is like movies can and have successfully look at these things, and the value of them is immeasurable because mm. everyone who revels in late capitalism or like in the the notion of attacking late capitalism i'm sort of shocked doesn't watch movies that attack late capitalism (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it's it's something that i come back to a lot in things that i look at or complain about in my day-to-day life is a lot of our our sort of cultural scripts or general ideas about you know the present as well as the past come from the media we consume Right. Uh, uh, and this is this is of course the source of why a lot of people will make really historically ignorant comments about like what the old west looked like or <laughs> or what soldiers for the the allies in World War II looked like. Spoiler, people like to make the argument that all those people were white even though for example World War II was fought by like colonial powers that had soldiers from all of their various colonies uh, and the west was populated by like native people and black folks and just like uh, a lot of people who were not the white white hat cowboy like but because that's what people see that's what they think of those eras and a similar thing happens with like work life when you when you don't see certain types of experience in movies and television it creates certain like expectations or lack thereof certain like cultural uh, I want to think of a less ableist term than blind spots, but I can't think of one. Just ignorance, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, that was a that was a rant. <laughs> well, it does bring up the fact that 
all the movies we just mentioned are unanimously, with the exception of Akira and the Kurosawa mm-hmm. movies, white. Yeah, with the so exception of also Sorry to Bother You, which you can't see out of theaters yet. Right. Sorry <laughs> to Bother You does this amazingly. Uh, it's getting ready yeah. to get there. What makes Sorry to Bother You so crushing and almost like just a fantastic movie? Is a it's not a it feels like it's if Bruce Riley sitting there next to you going why aren't you angry about this? But it's also a movie <laughs> yeah. that is looking at the role that race plays in class. Yeah, which is not something that me uh, that it's not, something we haven't mentioned in all of this yeah. because most of those movies don't. And yeah, it's I, again that thing about like uh, cultural sort of ignorance or, or just those. Those areas that that aren't talked about as much because they're already not talked about. It's a, it's right. like a perpetuated silence. There's like there aren't many work related movies about what it's like to be gay in the workplace. Yeah. Um, or trans, or really like, it's one of the things where like we should be getting to a point now where we see those movies, but we don't because the only movies people get money to are the ones where things blow up and the superhero. Supposedly yeah, those, today, but really just makes everything worse. Um, yeah, those sorts of received cynic. wisdom. <laughs> uh, yeah, just the, just like those sorts of received wisdom. Like, they're not made because they're already not made, and, well, that must be for a reason. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I don't believe that's the... <laughs> Uh, but mean, but meanwhile, there's a, a movie about you know Dick Cheney coming out instead of. Uh... <laughs> uh, I like Adam McKay, but I wasn't a big fan of The Big Short. Yeah, uh, definitely read the re- definitely read the book though. I want to read it. Uh, I read an excerpt of Michael Lewis's latest book, and I want to read that as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Kara Kara read The Big Short and uh, and sort of gushed in a very depressed way about it. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Capital, like, the sh- movies, it seems like more and more the movies we get about the workplace come from the manager's perspective. Yeah. And uh, Mike Judge has even said, office space was from the worker's perspective and extract is from the manager's perspective. And mm. asked why, it's like, well, because I eventually became a manager. And those because eventually. Too, because as a manager, I can tell you as a team leader, team leader which is like a useless yeah. middle management job, Right, obviously, you 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 have power over some people, but not really for it to make any kind of difference. Right. I can't like the yes, there's a whole workers rise up against management, but mm. anyone who's ever worked a job understands that the idiocy is always perceived to be on the other side. Right, like it's always the guest who's a moron, and clearly not the worker. Although <laughs> I will almost always side with the worker because I've worked those jobs. At the same time. Yeah. The manager is always seen as being unjust, even though it could very well be that maybe the workers aren't good. I'm not saying unions aren't great. I love unions. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. Uh, I, know, I, 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 like, I, that I incessantly of believe. You know, the idiocy is sort of like a multi-class thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is, that is one of those things that it's, it's you know, uh, recognizing the humanity of uh, the people who cause you problems, but also not letting that let not letting that realization let them off the hook. Right. I suppose. Like recognizing the humanity is fine, but also at the same time, since they all empower, they should be held to a standard. Like right. if the, they're doing the inter- something unethical, then absolutely. Like right. The, intera- the interaction. 
for those guys who, in that one movie with John Travolta, what, Civil Action or Civil Suit or whatever, mm-hmm. find out that people have been poisoning the water supply. It's like, yeah, I don't really care about those guys. <laughs> right. Uh, there, There's a, a limit to, to that. <laughs> right. Well, like, okay, perfect example. We brought up J.C. Chandor, uh, Margin Call. Mm. It's a bizarre, like, it came out right after the crash of the recession, and it looks at stockbrokers and the role they play and how some of them felt conflicted. Yeah. And I'm like, it's probably not the case, but as a way of exploiting how class, different classes are affected by an issue, because if you look at the movie in the background, you see... All like you see janitors, you see parking valets, you see yeah. working class people, while the stockbrokers are discussing the consequences, almost in theoretical terms. Right. I feel like there's. I'm sus- I'm always a little bit suspicious of of stories like that because there's a there's a habit that I see at least in a lot of people online and sometimes in media. Well, more frequently than I'd like in media more broadly that I like to to refer to as something like more empath uh, more. Uh, what was it uh like more philosophical than thou or something like that is how i usually say because it's like oh well i can see the humanity behind like these people who are doing horrible things and you just being upset about the horrible thing makes you less smart than me or something it's like you know what i recognize that everyone who's ever been a monster to me is also a person but sometimes (laughs) the effect of a behavior is so bad that maybe focusing on the empathy is uh, overplaying that hand. Right, well, and what Margin Call does is it calls that. It's like, because mm. the, the people who are, like, deeply guilty about all this, like, who feel actual guilt, mm. are the ones who've had jobs. They're the ones that, like, what, like there's a scene where Stanley Tucci's like, you know what I did before this? I built bridges. Oh, wow, I, yeah. And he talks about, like, how much of a difference that bridge he built makes as opposed to what his job is now, which is just to make... All of that? That really makes me want to see that movie then. That's a, that's a great turn. Point, that you don't know. Even though it has Kevin Spacey. Mm, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Irons is talking about, like, okay, so can we just sell all this? And his Spacey's catch is like, yeah, we could, but we would be selling what we know to be worthless. Right, but would you be able to do it? We could... Theoretically, but you understand our job as salespeople is trust. We would we would never be able to do this again. We would like we would be giving our word on something we know to be a lie. And I was mm. like, yes, but we would be alive. Like it's, it does a Oof. very good job of showing yeah. like the ruthlessness. Right. What what how people end up in that position, which right. I think is important to to look at. Like it's any of these actions like there's a history to them and people get there they're at the end of a long strain of presumptions and behaviors and so on right so uh, by the uh, way if you just a warning for people who see margin call the, it, it does have kevin spacey so if you don't want to see it perfectly understandable yeah god it a heads up. oh man i looked it up this cast list like outside of spacey though like right. oh people um, like, in, in a good way like I, all is lost and um, a most violent year, which is impeccable. Ooh. If you haven't seen a most violent year, yeah. Um, but no, um, movies about class, I guess, is what we're trying to get at. Yeah. Should be more prevalent, I guess. Um, at the very least, better executed because we see all these movies about class, but it's almost always about upper class. It's yeah, I mean, it is about what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. 
it is it is one of those things where like uh the 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 american conscious uh, to the extent that such a thing exists in a singular sense likes to pretend that class isn't a thing because right. we don't we don't have aristocrats here yeah well, yeah we do they're just not called that right. uh <laughs> One of the great but, movies of the last 30 years, Frances Ha. Mm-hmm. Starring Greta Gerwig. There's a moment where she complains to a friend, like, oh my god, I'm poor. And the guy just goes, you're not poor, you're broke. Saying you're poor is an insult to poor people. Oh, wow, that's a good line. Right, it's a great line because it does show you like how often in movies, directors and storytellers confuse being broke with being poor. Being yeah. broke means you don't have any money but like as we see in Francis Ha she goes back to San Diego her parents have a house she's like she's not oh. homeless like she that's such has, a great call out of but she that's, still has somewhat of a safety lovely. net whereas being yeah. poor means if you don't make rent that's it yeah uh, that's not something we see very much um I mean that that is one of those things. Uh, not to uh, because I'm me, always bring it back to superhero stuff. But like that, like as that that is one of the things. I know I said this at the beginning, but it drove drove me a little crazy about Homecoming. Is that like the 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 financial realities of the Vulture's life were set up so much better than <laughs> Peter and Aunt May's, and it's like I I, I feel some whiplash here. <laughs> Because it's a Spider-Man movie, where at no point are we driven to question the like how the the parkers are able to afford to live where they live right i mean to be and, fair compared that, to some of the other homes marvel characters have in the movies yes it's at least believable like it's not yeah. a spacious uh, apartment but it is it is weird to me that ant-man as opposed to spider-man is the so far anyway the the marvel superhero series where like the character's financial living conditions are more of a concern right <laughs> Well, again, this uh, also goes into escapism. Sometimes you still want to deal with the fact of who picks up the checks. If someone picks up the checks, that's not no, the point of the movie. No, Jeremiah. That is the core of Spider-Man, is living a garbage <laughs> life and not knowing how to fix it. That is why we're excited to see Into the Spider-Verse, because Miles is allowed to have a crappy life. <laughs> oh, I'm really excited for that movie, by the way. Oh, I, I, I have feels. Anyway. Spider-Pig <laughs> Makes me unreasonably oh, Pete, happy. It's uh, it's actually Peter Porker Spider Ham. Uh, I want you to understand. I looked at it and I thought Hampton. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. There's a very, there's a very uh, um, ti- uh, Tiny Tunes. Is that yeah. that's Hampton, right? Yeah, it's a very Tiny Tunes like uh, outline to him. That's I buy that. Uh, uh, so we have to come bring this to a close now. Once again, we have solved nothing. No, uh, no, we have on, we have uh, talked. In- we have talked in circles around the garbage fire of culture, and uh, and we hope you join us for another such uh, circular conversation again in the future. <laughs> uh, don't forget to look, listen to the other podcasts we have on the Fundamentals, such as Unabashed Book Snobbery, Ladies First, The Fundamentals, um, Fundamentalists, sorry, um, <laughs> Right to Survive, Dance Podcast. Uh, don't forget to uh, review and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, yes. Feel free to join up on the Fanamental Plus where you get exclusive content. Um, maybe even one day uh, Thad and I will have something on there. Don't know what I should <laughs> but hey. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll do something and it will be very exclusive. Yes. So exclusive. 
we won't even be there. Um, <laughs> outside of that, um, that's all we got today, folks. Um, say goodbye, Thad. Bye! Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>